Hello and welcome to another Community Power podcast, a weekly series brought to you in partnership with Local Trust. My name's Chris Allen, and in this series, we're showcasing some incredible projects, focusing in particular on what happens when you give local people the resources, the power and the assets to make a difference to their neighbourhoods. With me, as ever, is our series producer, Beth Lazenby. Where are we off to this week, Beth? So this week, Chris, we are off to North London to meet Laurie, who is part of Noel Park Big Local, and he's going to be chatting to us about their inspiring project, Changing Gears, which helps local young people get into employment. Yes, Beth, indeed. And first of all, I asked Laurie to tell us a little bit about where he lives. I live in uh, Noel Park, which is here in North London. Uh, it's a very unique place. It's, it was an, an estate that comprises of some 2,200 houses that was, that was built by a company called the Artisan Labourers and General Dwelling Company. <laughs> that sounds to be um, of a certain century. It is indeed. It was uh, next year, 2023, will be the 140th anniversary of this estate. And very interesting, we have uh, a Darwin Avenue named after Charles Darwin, who actually was an investor in the company. He believed this was a great idea to build affordable housing. Sounds quite familiar even for today, really, doesn't it? It does, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, very, it's kind of very philanthropic. And, and do people locally have a sense of that, that history now? You know, you obviously have, but do other people around there have a sense of history? And does it make them uh, proud of their area? Yeah. And people like that idea of, you know, the history behind it. Avenues with trees lined up and down it. It makes it very friendly. Right. Behind that, though, are there challenges within the community that, that you're having to face up to that big local is supporting? Yeah, like most communities these days, you know, life can be a bit difficult. When the right to buy, in essence, came in on that, it changed the dynamics of the, the neighbourhood. So a lot of places were bought under the right to buy, good or bad, on there. But then it changed hands again. It became private landlords, multiple tenancies. And, you know, although it's a conservation area, uh, a lot of the enforcement wasn't put in place. They broke up the houses into little flats and this sort of thing. And there was a general feeling that was a, that strong sense of community was suffering a bit, that, you know, there's sort of people coming and going all the time. But in recent times, especially I think probably the last three or four or five years, when the COVID came in and all this, I think people refocused their attention more to community, whereas before everyone was just getting on with their life, walking in and out of London. Now they were much more locally focused on that, which has been a good thing for the, the big local. So it certainly runs in tandem with what our ideas and aspirations are of building the community. And during that time, yeah. then, obviously the big local is in place. You've got a bit of infrastructure in the community. Um, did that mean that people sort of looked to you, came to you, or you just would sort of say, oh, here's an opportunity. We can we can serve the community here. It'll build some links for the future. We put a, a newspaper on the estate. No part news, we had it printed and delivered through all the households, which, you know, how you could get help, what we were doing, what the projects we have running, what we hope to do in the future, how to join in. And we found we had quite a good response from that. We get new partnership members coming. That's good to know because sometimes people tell me it goes straight in the recycling. So you've done well there. <laughs> well, I suppose, you, I suppose during lockdown, people are reading anything that came to the door. <laughs> No, indeed, indeed. You know, obviously you give your time to this. Um, you're a volunteer like, you know, many, many, well, like all uh, big local residents around the country. Why did you get involved? How did you get involved? I can doubt you probably guessed by now that my accent is not from North London. I, did, I, I, I got a hint <laughs> on that one. I got a hint yeah. on that one, yeah. And like most 
Scots that come down here. I came down here for work in the 70s. And found, I thought I'd be here for one, two, maybe three years. And here we go, you know, donkeys, decades later, and still here. I, I like it. I, yeah, I like the community. I enjoy working with the community. I think it's great fun meeting people, new people, even people that live in the next street for 20 or 30 years and you didn't know them. Now, now I do. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, I get a lot from it. And and as the partnership found it easy to engage with people locally, have you found it easy to get people on board alongside you, or has it been a bit of a struggle? It was put initially when, when it first came out. You know, I'm sure every many other big locals had the same initial reaction. Oh, we get a million pound to spend. You know, everyone wanted part of this and whatever. You know, and the first couple of meetings we had, you know, literally 50, 60, 70 people coming along to it. People wanted swimming pools in their back garden, and goodness knows what. Whatever. <laughs> you know, it was it was hard work to sort of filter it down into a working group, whatever. Yeah, I know. Of course, you always get entrenched positions. Some people walked away from it. Some people wanted to get involved in it, and it went through a period of, to be honest, a bit of doldrums because we couldn't get much decision making because there wasn't a consensus in there. But once we went through that storm, weathered that storm. And we found we had a working plan, you know, we got a big consultation, got a plan together, was accepted. And then once people started seeing the tangible side of things, actually physically see the difference, more people think, oh, right, it's not just another, you know, let's all talk about something, something here we can see and get into. That helped. And you were able to get past that kind of, it's just a grant pot. Um, it has, you know, bigger aims than that. It's trying to bring about, you know, lasting change within the community. For sure. For sure. I mean, that is, that is part of our legacy. Just now, you know, we're making plans, you know, what happens post big local. But first of all, tell me about this Changing Gears project. What that, What's that all about? We're looking at the challenges on our area here. We have high youth unemployment. We do have problems being in inner London, uh, gangs and youths. We have problems with drug taking in youth, drug dealings in youth. We have some areas on the estate and surroundings which have been neglected environmentally. And although the street crime has actually decreased, there's still that feeling, of, well, especially older people ever a bit hesitant maybe to go out after dark, that sort of thing, and they're frightened of use and whatever not. To try and get address all of these under one sort of project, we've come up with this idea of a adventure that's called Changing Gears. The title actually, Changing Gears, is about changing gears in the, in the community, stepping up through the gears as a community. So the kind of culture changes behind this is what you're thinking yeah. of. Yeah, culture and involvement, you know, you know, the, the contents to be involved in the community again, and then changing through the gears and upping the gears as we go along, start small, but change up gear. So the actual project Changing Gears put together the idea that we put, we would recruit some unemployed local youth, we'd give them basic training and a wide range of very entry-level skills be it landscape, gardening, carpentry, painting, decorating, this sort of thing. So it would give them the opportunity when they went to, for employment, to have something on their CV. They know how to do risk assessments. They know how to general handling tools, how you actually behave, you turn up, whatever. And we would partnership, but first thought, hmm, might work, might not. We could get them doing environmental improvements on the estates. Again, people could see very visible, tangible results from it. Uh, and then, of course, the, the lockdown came along, and which actually worked somewhat to our advantage because the government, which we foresaw might happen, did come up with a kickstart scheme. So originally, the partnership was going to pay wages, if you like. The kickstart 
scheme came along and they paid it for us, which was quite handy, Harry. That's nice when it works that way. Yeah, it is very, yeah. And also we spoke to the local authority, which is Haringey's regeneration team. And they said, well, as it happens, we've got potential getting a grant from the Mayor of London's office for this sort of thing as well. And we didn't have premises. So we came up with this idea of getting a very environmental friendly shipping container uh, installed in a local park, which is wooden clad with a living roof on it and whatever, and built a yard behind it. And that became our headquarters for the changing gears. So then we recruited the uh, two young unemployed young men and they came along and I was doing three days a week with them, sort of giving them entry levels, sort of, you know, how to use tools. And we built a, a yard, we'd done stuff on the state. You say that very casually, like it was, oh, well, this is the kind of thing I do and whatever. But And you make the whole thing sound easy to do, but I'm hearing behind that, oh, we've got to recruit the young people, how many you got involved, how you support them, all the legislation, support you put in place, uh, planning permission as well. So there must have been lots of complications within there. You just make the story sound incredibly easy. <laughs> well, that's true. I'm glossing it over a bit. I mean, I mean, we did have a few challenges, shall we say, in actually putting it all together, but we got their perseverance in the end. Funnily enough, one of the interesting things, we thought we'd done all this sort of planning, getting permission to the shipping container, the park, all that in there. And then we were hit with the question, have you got an unexploded ordnance certificate? <laughs> Pardon? Okay. They said, well, this area was quite heavily bombed during the war. And if you're putting in any big metal box somewhere, a shipping container, you should have an underground survey in case there's un- unexploded ordnance underneath it. I thought if you were in a metal box, you'd be safer than ever, actually. So <laughs> what's something underneath? So, so we've actually said to the, to the council department who asked us this, they said, well, where would, where would we get such a certificate? And they said, well, from the owner of the land. I said, but you're the owner of the land. Do you have a certificate? And he said, no, we'll get back to you on that. Nice. Of course, that was the end of it. They never came back at all on it. Yeah. So there's these idiosyncrasies that came along. I mean, one of the things we had to use doing was that what became as the No Park Hedge Fund. We had them trimming people's hedges. Right. So like all the people on that. Yeah. Again, it was just a, a quirky name which engaged with people. Because when you yeah. think of a hedge fund, you think of absolutely, money absolutely. But this is social investment. You, you, these 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 names are quite important to you, aren't you? you? You, I think you must work quite hard on them to make sure. Actually, these are gonna these are gonna stick. These are gonna make a bit of impression. Well, it's all part of marketing, isn't it? I suppose that you know you want something that people think, oh, what's all that about? Indeed, and and what's what's the kind of impact you're having? Because obviously, you know, it, in terms of the young people, I think if you were helping one, you know, you're changing that young person's life forever. Um, but how many have you been working with? And and I'm thinking some of this is very visible in the community, as you've been saying. What's been the kind of feedback from local people, especially those who are a part of your hedge fund? Well, at first, people are a bit sceptical and mm, almost cynical. Yeah, yeah, we've had all this sort of thing before. But one's actually seen, you know. High vis best with branding on the back, no part big local, on bicycles, kind of about there, on the estate, carrying tools about people saying, Are you from the council? Are you doing this? Well, we said, No, actually, big local, you know, volunteers and doing this. And they thought, Oh, what's it all about? You know, can we get yeah. involved? We do know the, the numbers on there. We had the two unemployed youth, uh, one of them, both on the six months with us. Uh, with myself on there. One of them is actually in employment now. He's got a job with an electrical company. The other one is still with us, working alongside contractors on the estate who are doing major renovations. So it's been highly visible. And now what we're doing as well, we're carrying on that changing gears. We're doing workshops for people in the community. I'll give an example. We recently 
we're running now workshops, what we call, so it's another catchy title, Tools for the Timid. <laughs> so this is, so people who are not used to, you know, using power tools like how to hang, yeah. do a hole in the wall to hang up a mirror, or how to use a saw, a piece of wood, which a lot of us take for granted because we're that generation, but a lot of younger people and possibly a lot of older people haven't that opportunity, frightened of using those things. And that's probably highly successful. And within that, have you got a, a good mix of people from different sort of backgrounds, male, female, people of different different ethnic origins as well? Yeah, I mean, this area, like most of London, you know, it's wide variety of social mix, you know, and backgrounds. We have a lot of uh, ethnic minorities that have moved into London over the last 20 years. And we find that this is really breaking down barriers when they do workshops together. I mean, tomorrow we're planting 4,000 bulbs across the estate. Wow. Yeah, and we've got, you know, ready for spring next year. It's part of our No Park 140th anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really bringing, you know, it's going to be our year next year. Yeah. And they'll be out and about the estate planting, ready to go for next year. And that'll be an exciting thing for local people to see, be part of, and something to look forward to as well, really, forward-looking. Castor living crisis is is obviously around in, in the air. For many people in big local areas, as it happens, you know, they live in a cost of living crisis, don't they? And this will make things worse for them. What's the kind of impact this having on, on the residents of your area? And we do have a lot of families here that struggle. I mean, there are many, many agencies and organisations about that grew up during the COVID. So that framework of foundation of support, there's a lot of that about. We have lots of food banks in the area already. But we are looking to uh, copy what's been done in many other big locals, put in a pantry. We're giving out the newsletter, telling people. But again, we're trying not to duplicate what other people are doing. If we have resources, we just won't be doing the same as someone else. If they're really doing it, we'll support them, sure. We sponsor Meals on Wheels. Uh, we refurbished a cafe in the park as well. Again, that won't be just a cafe. It will be a hub, information hub. I mean, there's always silver linings that when you have adverse conditions, it does help people come together. Yeah. As, you've, as you've shown in the past, you know, all community work is a work in progress, really, to quote you on what you were saying there, really. So how do you see things going beyond the end of the kind of formal big local programme? You can never be too prescriptive in what's going to happen in the future, but we see the legacy of the no part big local. Having an established base, having that momentum, community engagement on there, we can build upon it. The environment of thing, as I said earlier on, it's a big historical estate. It's got lots of lovely avenues and that. If by the end of the 10 years that they can be seen to be improved, it's in everyone's interest, tenants and leaseholders, private owners, to maintain that. We're working with very much environmentally with schools. We're doing environmental education. We see them as the future. If we can build that foundation now, they'll be teenagers the time it's all finished. We don't want them getting involved in the negative aspects of life, but for giving that sort of encouragement and base and activities, hopefully that will carry on. Yeah, indeed. And um, you've retired once. You see this possibly as being yourself retiring again at this, or would you think, oh, I'm just going to carry on doing this. I love it so much. I think I'll go back to work for a rest. <laughs> but I would personally like to think that, you know, I've lived here over 40 years. My own children have grown up here. And I'd like to leave something behind that is thinking, not not that I'm leaving behind, but the community has. So when can't do it anymore, I think, well, I've done my bit and hopefully it's helped. 
That was Laurie White of Noel Park, big local in London. Looking forward to his second retirement, we might say. I was interested there, Beth, about the, the work they're doing with young people, really. That's a really difficult thing to take on. And in past regeneration schemes, often been ignored. Yeah, and we have heard in the previous series, we got lots of young people on to talk about how they're involved in Big Local as part of the partnership. But it's really interesting to hear from a Big Local who have set up a scheme specifically to teach them skills to go out into the community and get employment. Um, and it sounded like a great opportunity to be part of um, for those young people who've been involved already. And we did chat off air with Laurie about the difficulty of recruiting. So if people are trying to recruit and say, well, we can't, how come they could? It is hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And they've obviously done some amazing sort of marketing work with all of the names that they've come up with. And you have to cut through that noise and find a way to get those young people in the door. And it sounds like now that they've got a couple of people through, they'll start to break down those barriers and bring in more young people to benefit from it as well. And they're looking forward to the future as well. Where can we find out more? As always, you can find out more about Null Park Big Local and all of their activities in the show notes. Thanks, Beth. And we both look forward to you joining us next time on the Community Power podcast brought to you by Local Trust, showing what happens when you give local people the power, the money and the assets to make a difference in their own neighbourhoods.